in music group. Speaking of music, this, this is hilarious. I was at the, um, the One Voice concert last night, and just as the band was starting this song, there was this screech from the audience that says, Woo! I looked at Tyler and I said, That's Lucy. She goes to our church. <laughs> She's a real special. <laughs> Story, Lucy. It was, it was great. <laughs> Hey, that. There's that, when we were young, my mother used to read us an old Ukrainian folklore story called The the Mitten. And it's about this uh, little boy who goes out into the woods in the wintertime to gather firewood for his his grandmother, and he loses his mitt uh, while he's out there. I can never understand how kids do that. But he goes back, so he forgets there in the woods. So as the story goes on, the little mouse comes along and finds the mitten. It's not a great place to stay warm, so he crawls inside. So as the story goes on, more animals come, around, come along. Right? There's, there's a frog, and then there's a, a rabbit, and an owl, and then a fox. They, you know, none of them want to eat each other. They just want to stay warm, right? They're kind of cramming in there. A fox, and then a wolf, and then a bear, and they're all cramming in this mitten. And then along comes a little cricket. And as soon as the cricket jumps in, the whole thing, the whole mitten explodes, right? And that's what this sermon, this is what it felt like putting this sermon together, right? The, the wisdom of God and Jesus. I started off with one little verse in 1 Corinthians, and then, you know, here comes Adam, and then Eve, and, and, and then Satan, and then Noah, and then I'm stuffing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Moses in there, and the nation of Israel, and then comes the Gospel of John, and Jesus, <laughs> and a few sprinklings from Re- Revelation, and the whole thing just exploded. It's like, you know, how am I going to put this all together? So pray for me, because I'm, I'm still not really sure if I, if I, if I got this, but let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be here together among the brethren of this saint, Lord Father, who you have called into your family, this family that has been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. Thank you that we have your word before us, that we can all individually have your word at home. And just thank you for the promise, Lord Father, of this new covenant and the day of come when your word will be on our hearts and in our mind. And no one will say, know the, know the Lord, for we all will know you. But Lord Father, now, Lord Father, bless your word as it goes forth that we may know you, the one true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. So today started off with the, the verse from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 30. It is because of him, it is because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is, and so Paul defines the wisdom of God here, that is our Righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. That's fascinating. He's not saying the wisdom of God is his righteousness and holiness. It's ours. So that's what I want to do this half hour. Is try to unpack that verse. What does that mean? That Jesus uh, is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So what is righteousness? Well, if we, we go back to Noah, we think about Noah. In a time when the whole world was wicked, evil, right? The inclination of the thoughts of the heart were continually evil. There's wickedness. Uh, uh, the earth was filled with wickedness. But in that midst, here comes Noah. The Bible says, and he was righteous. It says he was blameless amongst the people he was with. So he did not participate in the wicked acts. He did not have an evil heart like they did. 
And also says that he was faithful and that he was obedient. God told them to build the ark and he built the ark. God told them they were going to rain on the earth and they just came ridiculous. But Noah had faith. The righteousness, blamelessness, obedience, faith in God. And Paul tells us that in Romans 6 that righteousness leads to holiness. Holiness in the Bible means utter uniqueness. So we see, we can see how Noah was holy in his day. He was utterly unique because of his righteousness. So where does this righteousness come from? Well, we were created with this righteousness within us. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1, when God makes mankind in his image. What does that mean? It means God has created us with similar attributes, characteristics that he has. The the reformists used to divide the the attributes of God in in, in two categories. The incommunicable and the communicable. I actually didn't stutter over those words. So, attributes that God uh, communicates to us, he shares with us, but there are attributes of God that he does not share with us. Those would be like his independence, his, his integrity, his infinity, and... I get this right. Yeah. So it's independence, it's self-existence, self-sufficient, immutability, changeless, right? Uh, uh, unchanging, his infinity, freedom from limits of time and space, and his integrity, there's no elements of conflict within him. The attributes, the characteristics that he shares with us, um, governance, the ability to rule and reign. We see that in Genesis 1. God says, go forth and have dominion over the earth. He gives us the ability to create like he does. To produce and to reproduce. He gives us the ability to, uh, one of the, the characteristics is spirituality. Right? To bear fruit of the, of the spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And he gives us righteousness. The ability to be blameless and obedient and faithful, not only to God, but to one another. And he passes on to us that we have to be holiness, to be utterly unique amongst his creation. So God said, go forth, multiply, and fill the earth. So I've asked this question before the breaking bread about a month ago. Did that happen? Was that fulfilled? Yes? No. We filled the earth, absolutely. But is the earth filled with people who reflect God's image? Are we image bearers of God? Is the earth filled with people like God? Absolutely not. Excuse me. So so what what happened? Well, God, cre- God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and <coughs> evil. And he put mankind, Adam, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And he said, you, and he gave them permission to eat fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
lest you die. Two things here. There, some people would say, there's a teaching I've heard, that at this point, God gives mankind a choice between the two trees. I disagree. There's no choice there. God said, do not. Do not eat from eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or else you will die. It's like when Lorraine was a kid, and her mother would say, Lorraine, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar, or else you'd be grounded. Her mother was not giving her a choice. There was no choice. But Lorraine made a choice, and there were consequences. Lorraine took the cookies. <laughs> Second thing, what does it mean when God, when God says, you will surely die? The Apostle Paul has a great term for this in Romans chapter 8. He calls it the bondage of, anybody know? New ID uh, interpretation? The bondage of corruption. That's a good one. Hang on to that. Stick that in your little Ukrainian mitt there. You'll need that. Um, the bondage of corruption, yeah, it's great. It's, it's like, you know, the next time your four-year-old grandson comes up to you and says, you know, Grandpa, if God is good, why are there mosquitoes? And you just say, you know, it's, it's the bondage of corruption. That's Romans chapter 8. Haven't you read that yet? It's like, why did Grandpa get weird again? I'm going to be that kind of grandpa. That's the bondage of corruption, right? It breaks things down. Uh, the NIV calls it the bondage of decay. New King James calls it the bondage of corruption. So what does it mean for mankind to die? It means that these attributes that God has communicated with him will corrupt. What would happen if mankind eats the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, the devil tells them they will be like God. And that's absolutely true. Because God has that knowledge of good and evil. But he did not pass that on to mankind. So the serpent is saying to Eve... God is afraid. God is afraid that if you eat uh, the fruit from that tree, that you will be like him. Not only will you know what is good, you'll know what is evil. You will be like God, and then God will be utterly unique. You're holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. So if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be holy, 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 and God himself won't be unique. You'll be like God. And what's fascinating about, about Genesis 3, that conversation between uh, the serpent, uh, or this being that's given the title of the serpent, and Eve, Eve never gives any indication that they were ever tempted about uh, uh, the fruit, right? She never, uh, uh, when the devil said, you know, did God actually say you can't eat that? She said, um, well, she just said, we're told not to eat from this tree. She never indicated that, you know, but my husband and I are really, really curious, or we're really tempted to eat. She never indicated that. They were okay not eating from the tree until the tempter came and put that idea in their head. Their head. So mankind fell and they died. Mankind became corrupted. So this righteousness and holiness that we were bestowed with has become corrupted. So what is God going to do? Let's 
What is God going to do? Well, we just need to go back to the very beginning of the Bible to find out what God is going to do, because God tells us there what he's going to do. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, heavens of the earth, and the earth, uh, and the earth was empty, uh, empty and void. Tohu wabohu is the term that the Hebrews have for it. It means, uh, um, a wasteland. Um, uh, 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 Lacking order and function. So, so the earth was formless and void, and the waters were on the, uh, the surface uh, of the... the uh, <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Did you catch that? You know, we put on our, our modern Western uh, goggles, modern Western culture goggles, and we look at that verse, and we ask the questions, you know, okay, so when was the beginning? Was it thousands of years ago? Was it millions of years ago? Billions of years ago? And why is there water all over the face of the earth? Did God create it that way? Or did something happen? And why is there light here when, when God didn't create uh, like until the four, fourth day. So what's this like? It's like, stop it! You're, like, you're butchering the Bible. This is ancient biblical narrative. Not only that, this is the first verses of ancient biblical narrative. This is, or this is the introduction. This is what sets this scene for this, for, for this story, for Genesis, and for the rest of the Bible. So we ask the questions then. We look at these verses and we say, who was there? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Why is this in the Bible? So who was there? God was there. The Spirit of God was there. Ruach Elohim was there. What are they doing? They're speaking. They're judging, making discernment. And they're separating. They're speaking light into existence. They're discerning between the light and the darkness. The light was very good. And then they separate the light from the darkness. So when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind, holiness and righteousness corrupted. Mankind, uh, the, the image of God corrupted in them. What is God going to do? He's going to speak light into existence. He's going to make a judgment call. He's going to, and he's going to separate the light from the darkness. Do you see it? That's fascinating. And, that's the, and that sets the theme for the rest of the Bible. Now, now you keep that in mind, and when you read the rest of the Bible, you see it. You see it right there in Genesis 3, when God, God separates Adam and Eve from, from um, the garden. The garden is the light. God's presence is that light. He separates the darkness, which is now Adam and Eve. He separates them. Think of Cain and Abel. Cain is ostracized from, from Adam's family. God separated them, divided them. Noah's Ark, prime example, right? We can see, now if we go forth, you can see God dividing light from darkness. We know that in, in this immediate context in, in Genesis chapter 1, light and darkness is just that. It's just light and darkness. 
I don't think I need to try too hard to convince you that this light and darkness became came to become uh, it became more than that, mean more than that in the Bible. We're looking to, to, to the book of Job for, for, for such verses. Job says, uh, "Are not my my few days almost over?" Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom, of utter darkness, to the land of deep, deepest night, to the utter darkness of disorder. New King James says, the shadow of death, where even the light uh, is darkness. So we see here that Job is uh, equating darkness uh, with death, with the grave. He says, yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. So Job here equating uh, light with good and evil with darkness. And in Job 29, uh, how I long for the months gone uh, gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone on my head, and by His light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship Bless my house, and when the Almighty was still with me. So we see in the Bible how light and darkness came to be created with um, darkness, with evil, and with death, and with the grave, but light be created with, with life and goodness, and God's blessing, and God's presence. And one of the greatest uh, uh, pictures of this in the Old Testament, of course, is the Exodus. And what's great about the Exodus is that there's actually two, uh, two types of division between light and darkness there. We have an, uh, an external darkness and an internal darkness. Right? The external darkness, of course, um, wait, you know, let me just read these verses. These are great. Listen for, for the uh, illusion to, to light and darkness and what God is going to do. In, in, in the darkness. The, the burning bush discourse. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. There's the light. In Egypt there's darkness. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down, Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out from the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have uh, seen them the way the Egyptians, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, and I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Exodus 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. And then I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and the mighty hand a mighty acts of judgment. Uh, Exodus 3, 19-20, but, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless the mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt uh, with all wonders, and I will perform them on them. After that, they will let you go. And this, this one's great. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go through Egypt, Every firstborn son of Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, the firstborn son of the female slave who, sat at, who sits at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, uh, worse than it had ever been over 
sorry, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark or, or any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes distinction between Egypt and Israel, between darkness and light. So God's people, the light, are enslaved, oppressed by this darkness, which is Pharaoh, which, which is Egypt. What's God going to do? He's going to divide the, the, the light from the darkness. He's going to judge them. He's going to make distinction. That's exactly what he does. God brings forth the, um, the, the Passover, the, the meal, and also the, um, the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and the spreading of the blood, so that when, when the Spirit of God comes forth, making judgment to divide those who are under the blood of the lamb, will be saved. And then the Israelites exit Egypt, and Pharaoh, in his anger and the hardness of his heart, pursues the Israelites into the Red Sea, and God destroys the darkness in the deep. He destroys Pharaoh and his army. Wonderful picture of how God is uh, dividing light and darkness. The second way, uh, the second example in Exodus is when um, the inner darkness in Israel, right? Israel, so Israel comes out of the bondage of, of Pharaoh and Egypt, and they're, they're in the, the Sinai Desert. Moses goes, Moses goes up to the mountain to get the law of God, and the nation of Israel build a, um, the golden calf, and they worship it. Exodus 19. Sorry. Um, so you, okay, you yours, okay, uh, so you yourself have seen what I did in Egypt. Is Moses speaking? Uh, God's, sorry, Moses speaking. You yourself have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, as a call to be righteous, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So if you're righteous, you will become holy. Holy uh, Righteousness leading to holiness. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. And Moses went back and some of the elders to the people and, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. So he that the law of God, God giving the law to the Israelites is incredible. It's like going back to the, the, the garden, of, going back to the garden of Eden, where God bestowed mankind with His with His image. Here's God doing this, is going to do it again by giving the law to this nation of Israel. He's saying, "Here's my laws. Here's my commandments. If you uh, follow them, you will be like me. You will be righteous." And holy, and you will be my light to the rest of the world. More like God. This is great. God is more like saying, you know, if I were to become human and dwell among you, these are the things I would do. These these are the things I would not do. These are the commandments I would follow. This is the law I would fulfill. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So God gives these commandments and laws, and the Israelites agree, but then Moses goes up into the mountain to get 
the written, the written uh, code from God, and the Israelites sinned with the, uh, the golden calf. Then Aaron, uh, sorry, while up in the mountain, the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol, casting the shape of calf. They have bowed down to it, and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are the gods the God of Israel who brought you out of, out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord uh, said to Moses. They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that I may burn, and again, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. What's God saying here? He said, I'm going to divide the darkness from the light. You, Moses, are the light. You're obedient to me. You're righteous. You're holy. The nation of Israel, you're just brought out of Egypt through the darkness. And I'm going to separate you from them. And I'm going to start over again with you. Incredible words by Moses here. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. For now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. Listen to this. This is Exodus 32-32. Moses says, Moses says, But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of your book, the book that you have written. That's incredible. These two things here. Moses so loves the Israelites that he is willing to sacrifice his life for the atonement of the sin of this nation. Though he is righteous and holy, he is willing to sacrifice himself to be blotted out out of God's book of life so that these the sins of these people may be forgiven and that they, uh, they, that they may live. Second thing, uh, Moses so identifies himself with the Israelites. Sorry, let me get that proper. Moses so identifies himself with the Israelites that he's saying that, um, God, your punishment upon me would be the same as punishing them. This is, the, the book of Exodus is just incredible how it just keeps pointing forward to Jesus, 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 and we see it over and over and over. So Moses says this, and God says, I will judge them. But what does he do? God provides the lamb. God institutes the, the, the sin offering and the day of atonement where a lamb is slain and the light that is in the blood becomes the atonement for the sin of the nation of Israel. And their sins are forgiven, and again they are given this chance to become righteous and holy and light in the dark world. Or did this happen? Second Chronicles will read, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them, to the nation of Israel, through his messenger, again and again, because he had pity on his people 
and on his dwelling place, the temple. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed uh, at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of Babylon. God gave them, God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried away to Babylon the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasure of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile, into darkness, to Babylon the remnants who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors. So it just happened then. God divided the light from the darkness again. The entire nation of Israel had now become this darkness. The light was his presence in Israel when God stepped in. Sent them back into exile. And we're back at the beginning. Back like in Genesis chapter 3. Back in Genesis chapter 1. Tohu Wabohu. Wild wasteland. Disordered. Unfunctionable. So we ask the question, what is God going to do? What's God, I'm asking you, what's God going to do? He's going to separate the darkness from the light. In the beginning was the Word, I've said this before in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain up on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man to whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and have testified that this is God's chosen one. So we see last time we, we had the words in the beginning. It was, it was setting the stage for what God was going to do. Same thing here. So what John is doing here, he's setting the stage for a new beginning, perhaps, or he's setting the stage uh, of, of God's final um, time that he's going to separate light from darkness. And this time he's, he's not going to use sinful people to do it. He's going to use his chosen one. And, same, and it's the same thing as in Exodus. There's, there's external darkness and there's internal darkness. So God, through Jesus, through his death, is going to deal with the external darkness, which is Satan and evil and wickedness. And then what's fascinating about, about, about Pharaoh and Satan is that God does the same thing. He uses, uh, he uses them to bring upon their own self-destruction. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart uh, led him in to the Red Sea where God crushed him. And we see Satan in, in his anger and hatred for God and, and, his, and, and his desire to, to corrupt all that is good in God's world. 
leads say to um, have how do you say it? Satan does everything he can to lead to get Jesus to the cross and dust. But it's the very cross of Jesus that destroys Satan. Right? We don't have a lot of time to you know, we go through many verses in the New Testament that talks about this. How Jesus' death was was that power that that overcame the power of, of Satan. Freeing people who, who were enslaved to, to the fear of death. And then the internal darkness that is within mankind. Of course, Jesus, Jesus, just like Moses, identifying himself with the people, asking God to accept his life for theirs. Jesus so loving these people who are in darkness that he is willing to be the sacrifice for their sin. And with this final act of judgment, just like, like in Exodus, when God said, I will perform these mighty acts of judgment to separate light from the darkness. God's mighty act of judgment upon his son was that mighty act that separated the light from the darkness, eternally, that separated the sin that was within us from the light, from the, from the light which is the presence of God. This, you know, you just think of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see this. That God, you say, blotting out Jesus. Taking the, the, the sin, the darkness that is in mankind and placing it on his son so that, so that light may come forth. This light that brings forth life. That allows life to flourish, flourish on the earth and to bring back Order and conscience to the earth and God's presence. And, and so our opening verse says, uh, It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. So now Christ identified with us, and now we can identify with Christ, like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with when Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's a fascinating story. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, as, as Dave uh, uh, read for us earlier. To those who are in darkness, the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are in Christ, those who have faith in him, the message of the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So now we see that we, because we are identified with Christ, and Christ is, is righteous and holy, that his righteousness and holiness has been imputed to us. We are identified with him. So now we can say that we are righteous and holy, that, that the wisdom of God is our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption, the wisdom of God. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this um, beautiful words. We thank you for the Bible that just, there's so much in it, Lord Father. We can just go on and on and on and on and just uh, expound what your word, just identifying just the wonderful things there with them. We just thank you for revealing to us, Lord Father, these wonderful things that you do on the earth, Lord Father, that you come forth, that you speak, and that you discern between light and darkness, 
and that you separate light from darkness. Now we thank you, Lord Father, for that day when your word came into our hearts and your spirit came into into our spirit, Lord Father, and you separated the darkness that was within us and brought forth light so that light may grow in us. It's life that that is uh, life with you, eternal life that was, Lord Father, that which was your plan from the beginning. We praise and give you glory in the name of Jesus Christ. And Wally, to my defense about last night, yes. the joy of the Lord in me just <coughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was excited for you, that was great. Do you want to sing this song or don't? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sorry, David. Yeah. Thank you for this reminder, Father, that you have taken us from the world of darkness into the kingdom of your light. And so we pray that as we go forth from here, that we might be people of the light, that we might have this light within us, that we may let our light shine here in Porcupine, in the world around us, until Jesus comes, we pray in his name. Amen.